This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, June 3rd, 2020. On this day in 1981, Paul Michael Stefani murdered Kimberly Compton in St. Paul, Minnesota. Shortly after the slaying, Stefani called 911 and confessed to the crime in tears, earning him the nickname, the Weepy Voiced Killer. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Irma Blanco. Hello, Today in True Crime listeners. I'm thrilled I could join today. ParCast fans might recognize Irma from the ParCast original, Hostage, where she and her co-host, Carter, take us to the electrifying centers of hostage negotiations. Yeah, every week we follow a race to apprehend terrorists and criminals while innocent lives hang in the balance. We also examine the long-term psychological impact on hostages and hostage takers. Irma's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story while I'll cover the narrative. I think we're ready to dive in. The murder of Kimberly Compton was a tragedy that stuck in the minds of Minnesotans, perhaps in part because of the odd details of the killing. And due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now let's go back to June 3rd, 1981, around midday. The weather was beautiful on this summer Sunday, and a group of teenagers wandered about their neighborhood, passing the time. They could hear the sound of cars flying by on the nearby freeway as they approached a construction site. It had been left empty over the weekend, perfect for a good time, away from the watchful eyes of their parents. The group ventured in and began to play around. As things got raucous, they decided to move their fun to a field next door, the tall grass promising softer landings. They jaunted through the foliage, happy as can be. Little did they know they were about to make a grim discovery. In the midst of their summer fun, the teens stumbled across the freshly made corpse of a young woman, not too much older than each of them. She'd been stabbed an ungodly number of times, her blood soaked into the ground. The teens rushed to notify the police, who quickly made their way to the scene of the crime. After a brief investigation, they identified their victim as 18-year-old Kimberly Compton. Kimberly had just graduated from a small-town high school in Wisconsin. She rode a bus to St. Paul, intending to look for work in the city the same day she arrived. It seemed instead she found a brutal end. The coroner performed an autopsy that afternoon. Kimberly had been stabbed 61 times in her chest, abdomen, and thighs. 
Her wounds were pointed and circular, implying she had most likely been murdered with an ice pick. Whoever had killed Kimberly was clearly capable of a frightening level of violence. The police were determined to catch him, but they never expected him to reach out to them directly. As the police began their investigation, 911 received a call from a man with a quivering emotional voice. Through tears, he proceeded to speak some truly haunting words. God damn, will you find me? I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. The killer hung up long before the call could be traced, but they would hear from him again soon. On June 5th, only two days after the murder, he called a second time. He said, don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry for what I did to Compton. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I'm so upset about it. I can't believe I did it. I can't think of a way to stop. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll just try not to kill anybody else. This time, the killer spoke just long enough to trace the call to a bus station phone booth. Officers raced to the scene, but by the time they arrived, the killer was long gone. It seemed he was playing a cat and mouse game with the police, but this was a game the police were determined to win. Coming up, the police catch their weepy-voiced killer eventually. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On June 3, 1981, an 18-year-old girl named Kimberly Compton was found stabbed to death in St. Paul, Minnesota. The police had no leads except for a weepy-voiced 911 call confession from the killer himself. My guest host, Irma Blanco, is here to help discuss the investigation into Kimberly's killer. Thanks, Vanessa. The killer had already called 911 twice, and by June 11th, he would call yet again. He apologized for killing Kimberly each time, and even went so far as to correct some of the media reports about the murder. But he never gave the police his name. Instead, he implored them to catch him soon. Otherwise, he would kill again. Aside from the phone calls, the police had little evidence to go on. In order to spur the investigation forward, they checked their records to see if any similar crimes had been committed in the past. They were surprised to find that on New Year's Eve, a woman named Karen Potak had been viciously assaulted with a tire iron. She would have died that night if her attacker had not called the police with a weepy voice saying, there's a girl hurt there, hurry, referring to the train tracks where he left her. Ambulances rushed to the scene and they managed to save Karen's life. However, 
the beating had been so severe that it caused brain damage and she wasn't able to remember what her attacker looked like. The man who hurt her had gone free. Now, with Kimberly's death, the police knew they had a potential serial killer loose in St. Paul. The police gave the recordings of his voice to the local media, hoping someone in the public would recognize the sound. They received over 150 tips in response, but none were helpful. The killer's heightened emotions effectively disguised his typical speaking voice and left both the police and the public at a loss. The killer stayed loose on the streets, and soon he struck again. Over a year later, the killer assaulted a 33-year-old woman named Kathleen Greening in her own home. He then drowned her in the bathtub and fled the scene. Her body was found on July 21, 1982. Then, on August 6th, the body of a 40-year-old woman named Barbara Simons was discovered on the banks of the Mississippi River. She had been stabbed over 100 times. Authorities identified the weapon as either a screwdriver or ice pick. The police received a call shortly after. A weepy voice proclaimed, I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. I killed more people. I'll never make it to heaven. It seemed the killer, for all his expressions of guilt, thought he was safe. But finally, with the death of Barbara Simons, the police were able to find a lead. Simons told her friends earlier on the night she died that she planned on visiting the Hexagon Bar in Minneapolis. Officers spoke to the employees who had been working at the bar that night, and the employees claimed that Simons had accepted a ride home from a man she didn't know. Based on descriptions of the man the employees provided, the police were able to arrange a photo lineup of several known criminals in the area. After showing the lineup to the witnesses, each identified a man named Paul Michael Stefani as the man they had seen with Barbara Simons on the night she died. Police quickly set up a surveillance detail on Stefani, watching him at his home. They followed him everywhere he went until August 21st, when through sheer chance, he managed to slip out of their sight. Police raced through the Minneapolis streets, searching for him, but someone else found him first. 911 received a call from a man in hysterics, but it was not the weepy-voiced killer. Instead, the caller had witnessed a brutal assault, a man stabbing a woman with a screwdriver. Police rushed to the scene to find a 21-year-old sex worker named Denise Williams bleeding on the streets. She had been stabbed 13 times, but managed to escape by hitting her attacker in the head with a glass bottle. And she quickly identified her attacker as Paul Michael Stefani. Police arrested Stefani shortly after. He was tried in a court of law and found guilty of both the attempted murder of Denise Williams and the successful murder of Barbara Simons. The prosecution did not have enough evidence to prove that Stefani was responsible for the other horrific incidents linked with the weepy-voiced killer, 
but he received a sentence of 18 years for the stabbing of Williams and 40 years for the killing of Simons. 15 years later, in 1997, Stefani was diagnosed with terminal cancer. As he lay on his deathbed, he reached out to police and confessed that he was, as investigators had surmised, responsible for all the crimes tied to the weepy-voiced killer. He was the man behind those harrowing phone calls, too. He claimed that he wished to apologize to the families of the victims before he died and hoped that his confession might help set him right with God. But then again, the weepy-voiced killer had always liked confessing. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Irma, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Hostage, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more stories like this one, check out ParCast original, Serial Killers. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson.